Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It is the great game with the man of the hour, the ringmaster himself, Matthew Arrod, is joining us. You can find him over at the CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, as well as RisingTideFoundation.net. And Matthew's books are available. Matt, when you tell us about where people can find your books? Yeah, absolutely, good sir. Uh, they can go to uh, CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org. Uh, with a dot org at the end of it will uh, take you right to the buy the books um there's all the untold history books of canada that uh, are available in the new volume one and volume two of the clash of the two americas you can get them either through amazon by clicking on those images there with jfk and and zabigneo or the founding fathers um or just send me an email and i can send you a hard copy or a pdf uh that way too and just bypass the bezos machine um yeah so that's that's available Excelente. And again, folks, also subscribe to his Substack. It is vital, especially in this critical junction of human history, where you see a legacy brand, a legacy uh, system, which is the old Anglo-American power structure going the way of the Roman Empire. It is keen that you educate yourself to what is emerging in its place and the struggle behind it as humanity once again struggles for freedom. And with mm-hmm. that being said, Matt, lots going on, brother. Where do you want to begin? It's tough to decide. I, I, that, that's why we we refrain from uh, naming this uh, this show a title because there's just so many things going on, a lot of absurdity. Yeah. It's sort of just you know living another day in in Never Neverland. Um, so there's a lot to comment about. But you you did bring up the collapse of the Roman Empire, and I, I guess always I. I I like history. I like I like the context that history gives us. So one thing to point out, because I, I wanted to take some shots, and I'm sure you do too, at the absurdity, the ironic uh, absurdity of the upcoming democracy summit on December 9th and 10th, which uh, Biden is going to be hosting as part of a year of action, which was is supposed to rally the world's free and open democracies of the world uh, behind a common umbrella, a common cause in the name of freedom against authoritarianism. Um, So I want to say a few things about that. I want to say a few things about maybe uh, propaganda on the health front maybe later on. But as far as history is concerned, the point I think that's useful to keep in mind is that the founding fathers of the United States, if you actually read the writings of you know, Alexander Hamilton and Benjamin Franklin and and George Washington and John Quincy Adams a little bit later, you read a lot of like the, the biggest minds who really shaped history. And you start getting a strong sense that these are all self-aware. They're, they're, these are people who are putting themselves self-consciously into the Renaissance humanist tradition of world history and specifically the, the Platonic current. Um, these are people who are who recognize the importance of what Plato was organizing and trying to get people to think about within the, the Republic, uh, that amazing 10 book or 10 chapter uh, volume in ancient Athens. And he was really trying to challenge people to think about, well, what are the implications of always uh, organizing society around an idea of human humankind made in the image of animals? Because to, and, and Plato starts this right in the Republic. It, it begins with okay, what is justice? And the whole thing is like trying to figure out what is what is justice. It's 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 kind of difficult to nail it down if we just look at individuals. So maybe let's take a step back and look at a at a state and look at where a state is unjust. So it's through negation. You can just see different types of thought experiments of injustice emerging within 
um, a whole society. And there's a problem when, you know, when, when it comes down to like building up, he builds up a society from like agrarian to a slightly more advanced uh, society with a bit of abundance. And, uh, and he gets at a point, well, it's at a certain point, it'll grow and it, it might run into uh, the territory of a neighbor, a neighboring state, and then they go to war. And then who decides the terms of the war or the, or the terms of the peace? And he's like, well, we need guardians. Well, how do you educate the guardians? Because the state has to endure beyond many lifetimes. So he's like, well, okay, well, how do you educate a guardian society or a, a, a guardian class is, is the question. And then they start working through, well, the assumption that the guardians, and he lays this out there like a trap for the mind of the student who's reading this, you know, he's like, well, how do we, how do we train good guard dogs? It's like, well, we, we try to breed the best of them, right? We breed the most vicious dogs and we get them to, to mate. And then we have more vicious dogs. And that's how we, we breed the best guard dogs. And he's like, okay, well, can't we just extend that logic to humans now? And, and you know, the person he's talking to is like, yeah, unquestionably so. And they start building up an education system to train your guard dogs, a uh, leadership class who will protect the society of, of artisans and everybody else. And he builds it up and builds it up. And, uh, and people think that Plato is being literal um, when they read this. And they're like, oh, yeah, Plato's a fascist because it, it, the, the consequences get crazier and crazier to the point that you're like throwing babies off of cliffs who are born, you know, like, you know, bronze sold babies born into golden sold families. If that's the case, you got to throw them off the cliff. So it's, it's getting into eugenics. It's getting into like some really crazy stuff, but there's obviously gems, intellectual gems of truth that he, he scatters throughout. So it's a real thought experiment. Um, now it took 2000 years more after Plato dies for this thought experiment to really manifest itself in the real in the world because thoughts and the physical world uh they don't always manifest in in real time you know it takes time for the fight to happen um and that was the american revolution it was the manifestation of the ideal of a of a philosopher king and part of this idea too that plato sets out as a paradox is that a society will always tend to de-evolve from being um a democracy to a tyranny um, in a cyclical destructive way forever until philosophy, true philosophers become kings. And he defines true philosophers not as the person who just likes ideas and like sits in, in ivory towers theorizing, but he makes the point that true philosopher is the person who not only gets out of the cave and learns that their that their their beliefs in their in in their sense perception as the source of how we access our convictions of truth and reality, that's false. If you, if you limit your mind to the shackles of your five senses, you will always be manipulated by those who cast the shadows on the cave wall, who are sort of the upper level oligarchs, right? Or the managers of the oligarchs who are the ones who are designed to create great narratives, uh, mythologies, the myth makers, the, the high priests, whether it is in ancient times or whether it is the modern myth makers today, like Yuval Harari or the people running the World Economic Forum, they will be the ones casting the shadows that you will believe in as long as you believe in your five senses being the cause of truth. However, when you start realizing that there's a higher light beyond the flames in the cave and a higher reality when you get out of the cave and you start seeing the sunlight, that's where you can all of a sudden start appreciating how to see through the mind's eye. You start seeing through reason, right? You build up discoveries that become the basis upon which you build further uh, discoveries. So you're not, your senses become a servant to your mind's power to penetrate into the unknown. Now for Plato, he makes a, the, the point he makes about the philo the true philosopher is not the person who just gets out of the cave and then learns how to like manipulate uh, the shadows for the other slaves. That's not it. It's the person who, it's the person who upon doing that figures out that they're, they care so much about people that they have to, they're obliged by their conscience to go back into the cave to figure out ways to help their fellow human beings that they were, you know, they were once locked in the cave too. How do you figure out different ways of helping these people who believe in the shadow creatures to also want to liberate themselves? At, and he even makes the point in book seven of the Republic that this might even come at the cost of that person's life because the people who believe in their shadows might want to kill you because you're trying to disturb it's like the cognitive dissonance is just too much and they might want to kill the person who's telling them it's all it's all that's an illusion um and so the way to break the cycle of going from tyranny to to an total chaotic democracy and he's not a fan of democracy but for a good reason um and then back to tyranny again 
is um, is when the philosophers, the true philosophers, become kings, or the everyone becomes philosophers. So the whole society has to develop a culture that cultivates their wisdom. And when that becomes cool, right? Because right now, like for most of our society, it's always been sort of the outliers who have been able to tap into that part of themselves. It's always been crushed from becoming normalized by the oligarchy that's always existed. And the reason why he's not a, 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 a big fan of democracy, Plato, is because you know, you got to keep in mind, democracy today, just like it was in 1776, and the founding fathers were not fans of democracy. That's why the republic is not a democracy. It's it's built upon, like when Ben Franklin was asked, what did you create for us? He said, I, and this is a woman who asked him this at the Constitutional Convention, and he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Okay, why did he say that? Because it's contingent, right? It A republic is based not upon, like, all of the masses deciding moment to moment on everything the government does. You have representatives, but the masses have to be organized to be the best, like the most aware possible. And the media was supposed to be, that's the protection of the media, of, of the freedom of the press. That, that's the point of that, to enshrine that so that people have access to the best information available to make judgments about where their society is going. Um, now, Plato was killed, or sorry, Socrates, who is Plato's teacher, was killed by the democracy in a democratic vote. And, and people often forget that too, right? Like the point where Plato was writing where Socrates was being killed in uh, three, I think it was 399 or yeah, 300 uh, BC. This is a point of decay where Athens had fallen from being this beacon of freedom, which it was for over a hundred years, you know, before Pericles and under the leadership of Pericles, it basically turned into what the United States had turned into after the death of John F. Kennedy, where it became increasingly imperialistic. It started backstabbing Sparta and its other allies and, and, and choosing to use the wealth that it had gained in its times of abundance to suppress its neighbors and its former allies as it tried to become ever more imperialistic. Um, the, the population was made dumber and dumber by the spread of sophistry, the teaching of the art of manipulating arguments rather than the pursuit of truth. And so when Socrates was trying to, you know, do his thing, when he was trying to like, he was cultivating a bit of a following because he was probing deep questions in public to people who were projecting a certain, you know, image of themselves as being wise, but they really weren't, whether they were teachers or whether they were, whether they were politicians, Socrates was just getting them to prove that you don't actually know what you're talking about when I ask you basic questions. And um, he was basically getting them to, to demonstrate that they're liars. So his society was going into a, into a, a state of complete decay, and there was a vote where he was accused of um, Socrates was accused of disproving the existence of the state religious institutions, the state gods, and uh, corrupting the minds of the youth by basically getting them to ask questions about things that are being taken for for granted as true, but they're not. Um, and the and there was a democratic vote to kill him, and it was the the democratic party of Athens that was the one presiding over his uh, his murder when he took the hemlock, right? Um, and so the idea was always that mob rule. The, the the people are dumber when you get them to get into a mob and lose connection to their own internal powers, their sovereign powers of using reason and judgment, right? You get a person individually, they're often pretty good but you get them into a mob they'll go into a riot and that's been known for a long time this is not just a color revolutionary thing however it has been tweaked and honed and refined as an art um over the 20th century especially but even before that to create color revolutions that's what george soros specializes in right and the thing he he works for as somebody who is part of the shadow casters in the uh, the cave He's part of the the evil guardian class, you know, of the evil version of Plato's Republic, <laughs> where you have the guardians. Um, and the point that I, I get at in my my new article on uh, the the um, the Klaus's uh, great narrative, which is the name you have heard of that, right? The Great Narrative Project. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I think we we touched on this last week, but Klaus's great narrative, uh, it's this new World Economic Forum project to try to like get the world's billionaires together and philosophers who uh, will sculpt the narratives for the for the future of human civilization around transhumanism and like integrating global warming theory and 
everything else that's acceptable to the oligarchy into a new sort of enshrined, unified uh, ideology, a myth for the new secular religious uh, groups to follow. And um, in within that group, you have something called the Council for Inclusive Capitalism that was set up by Linda Rothschild, and uh, it's it's tied to the Vatican of uh, Pope Francis, and, and they've got a Council of Guardians, if you go to their website. Um, so people like Linda Rothschild considers herself, as does Pope, Pope Francis, as does Mark Carney. These are all mem they're all guardians, the, the head of the Ford Foundation, the head of the Rockefeller Foundation. They're all members of the guardians. So it's a little like, um, you know, echo of the fact that these are people who are who are reading Plato literally there. They see themselves as, you know, what Plato is trying to get you to realize is a is a fraud by defining yeah. human beings like animals and then building up a society around that idea without distinguishing the fact that this is where their whole idea people. of the ubermensch comes along. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly Nazis. the Ubermensch idea. Yeah. That's they're they're completely Nietzschean and Nietzsche exactly he set up his idea of the Ubermensch as a very eugenics like way. When and so when Nietzsche said that God is dead, what he was referring to was the consequence of those who within the Enlightenment tradition of Kant, Hegel, um, Descartes, you know. Um the, these, this was a movement that was created politically to try to crush the Renaissance humanist, humanist period of da Vinci, of Cusa, of that which came out of uh, the you know late 14th century that gave rise to the biggest burst of new discoveries in human history and also population growth. Because when you apply new discoveries, both in medicine, in the arts, in music, in science, you apply it to human society in the form of new technologies, which is what da Vinci was doing with all of his machines and, and many others were too you get an increase of sanitation, an increase of living life expectancy. You can sustain more people at a higher quality of life. And that burst that came out of the Renaissance, there was a political mobilization to crush it through the creation of new wars on the one hand, new schisms within the religious institutions of Europe, right? To get everybody to fight each other over, over religious differences instead of working together. But also there was the intellectual operation of the enlightenment that said, okay, the new age of reason has disproven God, has disproven soul and metaphysics. It doesn't exist because we've now known that through the power of pure logic that's derived from sensory information of our five senses, we can process data and disprove any necessity to rely on assumptions of justice or God or soul or anything. Pure logic can replace all of that. And so the consequence of that was, you know, yes, um, human beings kind of killed god through that process but it didn't mean that god was dead it just meant that we killed him and so nietzsche didn't understand any of that he just saw that okay there's no god because you know human logic overpowered it and the point of the uber mention in nietzsche's world was you know the, the powerful man since there is no such thing as justice that's a concept of metaphysics we don't believe in that justice is really the the ability of the power class that those who are the most fit to rule which is to impose your will the will to power onto the weak you will then make definitions of how you believe other your your victims who are under you should think of everything how they're going to adapt to their their world is going to be through a controlled environment that you control and the definitions that that their minds are locked into is is being written by you you're the one writing the dictionaries and so that that class will be the uber mentioned the over the the supermen and they will they will control the flow of the human gene pool using scientific uh, power into the future. And so the idea of eugenics, the the the, the science of of population control, purifying the human gene pool, all emerged out of this Nietzschean view. Which, by the way, if you read the Republic, in volume uh, book one of the Republic, which everyone should read, uh, there's a character named Thrasymachos, and Thrasymachos is like Nietzsche. He believes that justice is just what I just what I described. The will of the power, powerful to suppress the weaker. And Socrates dismantles this ignorant son of a bitch's view of what justice is to just satisfy the power to satisfy your your lusts and, mm. and punish your enemies. That's justice when it's done by the powerful. Um, and, and thus, in, in Thrasymachos' view, the most unjust is the most just. <laughs> and the most the most just, the person who believes in morality, is the weakest, actually because morality doesn't exist and they're just hiding behind morality to keep themselves protected from the strong. So Socrates destroys that in the first book of the Republic, which really lays out his intentions. So anybody trying to 
uh, read that book literally the way Mark Kearney and Klaus Schwab and all of these like wannabe guardians today are trying to read this thing. Literally, they just skip over that book because it, <laughs> it disproves their entire like, you know, philosophy. <laughs> mm. uh, these guys are psychopaths. Yeah. So I'm saying all of this because uh, democracy, right? That's that's the big word being bandied about right now. And, um, you know, I've actually gotten into arguments with idiots, mm. which is something you should never do. Argue with idiots. Mm. Well, they said we have a democracy. I'm like, no, we are a constitutional representative republic. It's all semantics. No, it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh my god! And you know what I hate, man? It, it's these people, the Clintons, the 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 globe the globanistas, right? Mm -hmm. They all banty about the word democracy. You hear it bantered about all over the entire Western world. It's a euphemism for totalitarian communist control. That's all it is. It's a euphemism. It's not a real democracy. It's not real anything. It's, it's, it's a joke. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and let's just look at this. I'm going to see if I can do this here. Uh, I'm going to do a share screen. Um, okay. Can you, can you see my screen right now of Joe Biden's ugly face looking all kind of confused? Oh, yeah. You see that? Yep. Okay. So this is the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. A uh, weird think tank. So this is the who's in and who's out from Biden's Democracy Summit. So I mentioned that there's going to be this new International Democracy Summit uh, representing the rules-based international open society order. And they're breaking down, you know, who who's invited and who's not. And, and amongst those who were invited, uh, it's scientifically, you know, uh, proven that 69% of the invitees are free which obviously includes Britain, the United States, Canada, oh. the freest of the free countries. So free. I, hope, I hope Australia makes the top of that list. They've been, they've, oh. you know, they've been doling out a lot of freedom to the citizenry. Oh, <laughs> so I'm much sure. They're, they're top top three, top four. They got to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enjoy all the freedom you want in an isolation con <laughs> unit for not being, yeah, poked. Um, <laughs> but then you got you got those who are who are partly free, of which you know we have things like you know the the ones who are who could maybe go both ways in the upcoming fight for who's going to control the conditions of the of the world order whether it will be multipolar or unipolar obviously this unipolar good one uh we don't know if india is going to be which direction they're going to go they they got they got their foot in both worlds so we call them partly free we but they're really trying to cast their net and get as many of the maybes onto their side as possible and then you got the not free, about 3%, which they include here as being um, uh, Angola, Congo, Iraq, Kenya, Malaysia, Pakistan, Serbia, and Zambia. Those are the not free ones, really. But we're really going to try to seduce them, bribe them, threaten them, whatever. Bomb them. Part of the good guy camp. <laughs> we're going to bomb them to freedom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Been doing it now for 70 years. Uh, why not? We're well-practiced. We're well um, then, yeah, the other ones who are like India, Brazil, Philippines, Poland are, are again, sort of the, they're using the Freedom House, it says here, right? The Freedom House uh, democracy measurement statistics, um, <laughs> which Freedom House itself comes right out of the project for new, for uh, the uh, project democracy operation that gave birth to the uh, NED, the National Endowment for Democracy and all of these regime change operations funded by George Soros. That's what Freedom House is. Um, so we're using their metrics to say, okay, well, these countries are like sort of middle ground and Philippines, you know, they could still try to declare independence like they did, you know, back in 2014 under Duterte or something. Maybe they'll do it again. So um, <clears throat> basically, who's invited? This is such a joke, right? So the, the thing that's supposed to be representative of democracy, which I think last time I checked meant the uh, representation of the will of all people actually only has about 110 countries who are invited of those we see right there in front of us. Um, there's a lot who are missing, right? A lot. Yep. Not just most of Africa, uh, Russia, China, Turkey. The entire Eurasian trade block is missing. The entire Eurasian trade block is missing. They invited Mongolia because they still want to use Mongolia as a, as a division between Russia and China somehow. They want to try to bring back the Genghis Khan uh, traditions. That's that's part of what they want to do. But even that doesn't look too too likely. But they're invited. Um, they invited Taiwan as well, right? Actually, so a country that's not that is 
in Taiwan's own constitution, it recognizes itself as a, depend, uh, a province of China, that there's a one China that they're a part of. And despite that, <laughs> and despite the fact that the US government, the Canadian government on their websites even still acknowledges that Taiwan is a part of China, um, they're still inviting, Biden invited Taiwan to be a member, a sovereign representative at the democracy summit. He didn't invite Venezuela, but he invited Juan Guaido. <laughs> you don't know about that, Juan Guaido, the guy that nobody knows who he is in his own hometown? That's right. He's the new president of Venezuela. He's a president in in waiting. <laughs> Self-declared president, yeah. Everyone who voted for Maduro in 2019 and, and uh, Guaido uh, nominated himself as president. <laughs> and he really, you know, he's a 30-something-year-old nobody uh, who's obviously just like this, you know, Soros-style uh, Navalny of, uh, of Venezuela type character. Oh, dude, he looks like Barack Obama. Obama. You ever notice that? He kind of does. It's he, true. What is it with Obama, Guaido, and the guy from Indonesia? They look like they came from the same genetic pool. Kind of, eh? And then there was the uh, the guy who uh, was the, the head of the Philippines uh, who recently passed away, uh, Aquino. Yeah. Um, he also had a bit of that. Sounded also kind of like he all went to the same Obama training camp. Yep. Um, yeah, it's very, very contrived uh, personalities. There, there's nothing really genuine about them, but they're used, and that's why they're used. Um, and as far as that, for people who don't know, the 2019 uh, all, near coup in Venezuela was again just like Syria, only stopped because Russia and China uh, intervened in a variety of ways uh, to prevent that from going through. Um, Russia and China both have a lot of uh, economic stakes in Venezuela. Maduro um, was targeted for total regime change. And one of the things that came out here, I am in Canada, I was a bit surprised that uh, Ben Rousewell, who at the time was the Canadian ambassador in Venezuela, he, uh, he's, he, he bragged that the entire regime change operation was coordinated out of the Canadian embassy in Venezuela. And for the American side of things, it was, um, oh, I'm forgetting all of a sudden the name of a, a certain neocon. Um, oh, I forgot, leading neocon. Abrahams, Elliot Amber, Abrahams. Elliot Abrams. Abrams. Was, uh, yeah, was coordinating from the U.S. side. And Christia Freeland had set up a really weird organization called the Lima Group. So you have Canada, a not very Ibero-American country, creating an 18-member organization called the Lima Group in Peru, uh, which, which Christia Freeland basically was the architect of and ran to try to rally all of the Latin American and Central American leaders to put pressure against uh, Maduro and in favor of Guaido, which they did. And again, it failed to work. They, they were pressured for and threatened from a variety of ways. I don't think most of the, the Latin American leaders wanted to be a part of that, but whatever whatever was done to them was successful in that. But again, it, it demonstrated the impotency of this whole great reset, great narrative type of crowd that only believes in shadows having power. And that if you can cultivate popular opinion the pressure of the mob, whether it's international nations being rallied like a mob to put pressure on a on a nation fighting for its sovereignty, or individuals within a nation who are uh, induced to believe that you know I don't know the uh, events of January sixth were worse than the civil war that killed five hundred thousand Americans, which a lot of idiot people still believe in Canada and especially the U.S. That's reality, and the re the, the fact was it didn't work then. Nobody respected Guaido. The, there was no regime change. Not saying it can't happen, but there was none. And uh, and things. Well, have well we had that turned. failed attempt where that a couple of green berets got caught. There was that. That was embarrassing. Um, that's not something you're going to get in the mainstream media. But yes. <laughs> and I mean, I thought they they had sort of thrown Guaido away like a, like used toilet paper. But in fact, the the fact that he was invited by Biden to be at, at this summit. Indicates that they are still planning other further operations uh, of chaos in Venezuela, which people have to be aware of. Um, but it's just it's just so it's absolutely hypocritical because I'm, I'm it's it, it I feel cheap almost. It's too easy to make fun of. Like you know, everyone I think in the world pr pretty much, and most Americans even are aware to varying degrees that this that America has not earned the right to be the bastion and leader of the democratic peaceful world order um i don't think um hold on let me just do a stop share here i'm, uh, I'm seeing like a thousand ver versions of myself um 
Okay, there we go. Um, but the U.S., I mean, look at what, what happened since Roosevelt died, right? Roosevelt had a beautiful vision to revive this idea of a multipolar age of cooperation with China, U.S., and Russia as the linchpin of a world of cooperating nation states. That's what Roosevelt had explicitly organized the world for, to destroy the British Empire, not to become a new empire, but to destroy the, the British Empire and create international financial um, programs for mass infrastructure, scientific progress for everybody. And he died early before he could see any of that through. So after, after he dies, even though Eisenhower tried in his own little way, like we talked about last week, to try to push back against the deep state and JFK tried very well, to, and he did push back against the deep state, it was still too strong. And since then, you know, what we've seen coming out of the United States is the worst record of atrocities committed in world history as far as like death or the killing and destruction of lives that could have been lived or could have lived, been lived better had, you know, starting with Guatemala and the Korean Wars that killed two million at least in direct, you know, uh, violence, Vietnam where another two million were killed in violence and God knows how many millions more died by all sorts of secondary effects because both in Korea, Vietnam, or any country where the America fights to defend democracy against big bad communism or authoritarianism, they target all of the infrastructure, water systems, schools, yep. cultural heritage sites uh, to basically destroy nations, a whole people's memory of what they were before the age of empire. Um, so what, how much, you know, secondary tertiary deaths out of disease, plague, uh, or plague, uh, disease, um, starvation, unsanitary water, how much of that occurred? It's difficult to calculate, but it's a lot. And we've just had the entire 20th century littered with this type of, of garbage, which then got worse when the Soviet Union collapsed. And, you know, this new type of asymmetrical hybrid warfare became the new thing. You know, George Soros color revolutions in Philippines, an attempt in China in 1989 with, with Tiananmen Square. Um, all throughout the 1980s, there was the Soros machine garbling up in every single, you know, part of the post-Soviet space and absorbing it into NATO, getting countries to adopt uh, total liberalizing free trade policies that created local oligarchs where, where everything that was nationalized in Poland under the Soviet era or in Belarus or, or in Russia itself, everything that had been national was privatized. Billions were made to a new 30-year-old Nietzschean Ubermenschen class of sociopaths, all right. beholden to the Wall Street London interests. And that they happily got their countries to integrate into NATO, whether it was, you know, I mean, just look at the, the 15 plus countries that all joined NATO after the heads of the West and, and uh, Gorbachev all agreed that NATO was not going to encroach even one inch after the Soviet Union willfully disbanded itself towards the east and now people like Jens Stoltenberg the head of NATO is not only saying we should uh accelerate the joining of Ukraine into NATO which is an absolute red line but Stoltenberg even told the new uh German government who's coming in replacing Merkel that if you don't want to host nuclear warheads on your territory anymore that's perfectly okay We'll put them in Poland or, or even further east, happily. He just went public and said that. This guy's a nut. I just, just, oh my God. I, if you don't want us to put our 50-year-old dilapidated missile that has maybe a 20% chance of actually firing in your country, then we'll put it towards po I mean, these guys talk like they have absolutely something functional. It's so stupid, yeah. man. It's so stupid. This is a joke, and all it's going to do it's it's it, it's they want a war. they want to get punched in the face. They seem they to want to get punched in the face. They want the bloody they, nose. They I don't know really, what, I don't know for what, Matt. I don't know if they want to trigger World War Three, which I don't think is going to happen. But if they can get a bloody nose and then blame an economic collapse on that, they're more look. They want to collapse, right? They want to collapse. Either they want to collapse with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. All right, or they want to collapse with a bloody nose. They want an out. They're looking for an out at this point. The data points are starting to scream to me this, and I've been mulling about it for months, and this is the first time I'm saying it. These guys, it looks like they want an out. Either they want to get punched in the face, or they have a short 
military exchange with either China or Russia where they lose. And they know they're going to lose. They wargamed it out, right? And then yeah. blame the economic collapse on that so they can get the hell out of Dodge with their profits intact and then reshape their Build Back Better Green New Deal BS as the only way forward or allow the pandemic to do it. So they're literally in a suicide yeah. pact. They're literally, literally saying to the Russian and the Chinese, either you end us or we end ourselves, but someone needs something needs to get done. That's what the system is screaming. Yeah, and I, I think you just sort of hit the nail on the head because it is a bit of a suicide pact. And yes. you, you have a dark age religion almost. Like it's a, it's a religion of absolute misanthropy, anti-humanism and cynicism, yep. which is, it's, it's, it is of a religious nature at the upper echelons of this control, you know, the machine controlling the Western liberal order, the rules-based order. And they ultimately, if you look at the type of ideologies that, that have been cultivated that each kind of reinforce each other over the course, especially of the last 19th century, 20th century, that sort of bring us to the present age. The, the ideologies of this modern priesthood, these narratives, these myth, um, all have this end times quality about them. Because th there's this mystical view that by bringing things to a state of absolute despair and chaos and war and pain, that you can somehow get a bifurcation point whereby there will be a maximum amount, this is according to an ivory tower oligarchical sort of formula um, that they've been operational for for a long time, but that that then you will be able to get a point of uh, transformation towards a new type of utopic, a utopic society, which will be completely obedient, where people will behave like good dogs, depopulated good be behaved dogs, for a master class that will live in their castles while the dogs that are permitted to live will be in their virtual reality alt worlds, you know, of whatever it is that's on their headsets, um, <laughs> happily enslaved. And that will be the forever crystallized fixed order of feudalism forever. And so, but to get there requires breaking society's will and its memory of all of its cultural experiences and heritage, the belief in nationalism, family, the sacredness of religions um, that have been monotheistic or, you know, the Judeo-Christian Abrahamic religions, that has to be just cleansed and purged. So you, the way you do that to break their faith is you create wars. That's a really great way to do that. You know, that when people go through some years of, of economic devastation, they can't feed their families, they see people starving, they, they have to go to war and they're in trench warfare like we saw in World War I or World War II. That really breaks you morally. Um, really great way to sort of get a blank slate and try to reconstruct from scratch. Um, and so the type of ideologies of neoconservatism that have sort of a, a, a post-millennial sort of, it's our duty to bring in Armageddon comes out of that. The Trotskyite view of permanent war, permanent revolution to bring society to a maximum state of chaos. This is where things, that comes out of it. And that's why the Trotskyites became after Trotsky died, the neocons with James Burnham and El, you know Albert Volstetter and uh, Irving Kristol, all of these guys were Trotskyites. That's why it's the same fucking thing. Um, or you could look at the radical, who is Trotsky's main, you know, one of his main allies, Ukrainian Jabotinsky, who became one of the founders of the most radical, blood, bloodiest version of of Zionism um, ever. I mean, and this is something which again sort of sees. Um, an endpoint of Armageddon-like chaos on the earth being the consequence of God's will to then bring in the Messiah the first time, you know, is the religious twist of that. And there's a lot of, a lot of overlap with, with a lot of the worst elements of the fake Christianity that, that was, that blossomed under the careful care of these former Trotskyite neocons. Yeah. Um, and there's so many versions of the same bloody thing. And so they kind of do want at the end of the day, uh, a, a, a point of chaos. And I think that they would rather this be done differently. They would rather it not be a, a direct nuclear exchange with Russia or China, at, at least at the higher echelons. They'd rather this be done in a, in a, in a different fashion that, that has less, less risk to themselves. But as we see, Russia and China are not going to just like disappear. They're not going to stop resisting this entire unipolar uh, depopulation agenda. And so they do seem to be really, really like putting their face at yeah. this point, right in in Russia's fucking you know um, armaments, 
and really being very provocative. The, the head of you know the Ukraine defense minister went to went to Washington D.C. and he was like you know trying to raise the alarm bell, which Blinken and um, the the defense was that. Yeah, sorry, I thought you said, I thought I cut yeah. you off. But yeah, uh, he's basically saying, yeah, Russia's about to invade. Yeah. And um, the, the the defense minister of the, or defense, defense secretary of the United States, um, whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, Lloyd just, Austin. Lloyd Austin pretty much gave his consent. He basically said, yes, absolutely. Blinken said the same thing. Russia's about to invade. All Russia's about to invade. We can trust our intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> And he actually criticized them for like making troop maneuvers in the Russian border. And if you look at a map, like the Russian, the Ukrainian border and Moscow are 300 miles apart. It's a three hour drive. So, of course, they're very concerned that, you know, Ukraine is trying to push heavy to rejoin or to join NATO. Um, and that you have all of this insanity. I mean, there's there's military maneuvers of the Black Sea. More of then them you have the day. Ukrainian military amassing in the Donbas and Donetsk regions. Yes, that is a major red line. Major. And Putin directly directly warned that this cannot be crossed. Um, as did Patrushev, as did Gerasimov um, when Gerasimov met with uh, Mark Milley. And you're like, what the hell are they're being given, you know, the, the head of the CIA went to Russia, you know, and I, I think maybe the messaging was probably, as was the case with Millie, probably to say, oh, yeah, we, we really, we're not going to support Ukraine. Don't worry about it. Let's just, you know, loosen our tensions here a bit. Just like we saw Biden doing with Xi Jinping, promising that, no, don't worry, you know, Taiwan is part of one China. We're totally for that. Saying that directly, saying we want peace, we want cooperation, and then going literally the next minute to the mass media publicly saying, no, China is about, we're, we, we've got Taiwan's back militarily when China invades, not even if, but when, and doing the same thing with Russia, right? So they're getting a lot of mixed messaging and Russia and China are both saying, no, you can't have this both ways here. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> pick, a, pick a message, which um, a lot of people like Biden, he doesn't know how to do that because he doesn't know how to come to any decision on to from himself, right? He's just being given uncritically messages from his teleprompter and he's just repeating them. He has nothing internal to judge. I don't. I, I think he would even pass a lie detector test if he was asked like, are you lying to Putin or Xi, Xi Jinping? He might say <laughs> no and I think he might pass because he doesn't have anything up there. Nah. <laughs> um, nobody's home. The lights are on, but nobody's home, man. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's, it's, it's creepy. Yeah. And this is the guy again. He's going to lead the year of action for democracy, right? Um, and it's really to bring down a new iron curtain, just like just like Winston Churchill, who came to Fulton, Missouri in 1946 and gave his iron curtain speech. What they're trying to do on the one hand is sort of put a barrier between the countries who are part of our controlled environment and those who are part of the multipolar alliance who are not willing to give up sovereignty or, or allow depopulation to take over. Um, and they're trying to do that at least to buy themselves some time until they can figure out how you can sabotage this in other ways. And if that means a trigger for that Iron Curtain should be a, a nuclear exchange, so be it, it seems. And I read Dmitry Orlov's excellent assessment on the Saker, and I thought that that was good. Dmitry Orlov just destroyed that illusion completely by getting across, by looking at a, an honest assessment of the nuclear response capabilities, the, the technology in China and Russia's hands especially Russia, in terms of hypersonic response missiles and other things, and, and compare that to an assessment of what the U.S. military delivery capabilities are. Well, we have aircraft that, that, can, that can fly off of aircraft carriers and go right into the ocean. Do the Russians yeah. have that? Yeah, right. Yeah. What, a, what an innovation. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, their silos are, are ancient. Their Cold War silos haven't been tested. Barely there's like talk about like upgrading them. But I mean, there's things are so Matt, I, I talked to somebody who used to be in the in the nuclear side of things. Uh, and then he left and he, and he ran um, as one of the top guys in the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC, right after the, the whole Cold War. And one of the things he said from his old defense contract, you know, contacts and whatnot from a couple of years ago, he said this. He, he, he said he'd be surprised if even 20% of our ICBMs are even functional. And out of that 20%, the amount that would probably hit target is even less than that. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, like China could shoot a hypersonic missile around the Earth and have it like, you know, get yeah. really damn close to its target. Um, 
and and Dmitry Orlov makes the point that you know if the U.S. actually did choose to launch anything at either Russia or China, not only would whatever they launch be intercepted in several different ways, but the target launching whatever that missile was, whether plane, whether base, whatever it was, would also be annihilated before the people who committed the launch even knew whether their They're, missile hit even the hit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but don't worry, America moved in their latest hypersonic missile into into Europe. Did you hear about this? No, what is that? Yeah, it's called the Black Eagle hypersonic missile. CJ, can you bring up the Black Eagle? So Matthew can see this. You can Google Black Eagle hypersonic missile. This is America's latest missile. Try to continue your laughter, Matthew, please. Hold on. Okay. CJ, are you there? There it is. Okay, it's in a box. No one knows okay. what this damn thing looks like. All right. Okay. Are you serious? No, nobody's seen it, dude. It's 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 vaporware. It doesn't what? exist. <laughs> That's funny. They're like we're moving Black Eagle hypersonic Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin, who couldn't even make a plane with trillions of dollars, supposedly worked on this hypersonic missile called the Black Eagle. No one's oh. seen it work. Ever. That's really yeah. Ever. That's that's desperate. That's it's, super it's pure vaporware, and they're telling Europeans, "Don't worry about it. We got you know if the Russians launch something. We got the Black Eagle hypersonic. We'll take them out." Oh yeah. Again, it's it's just like Guaido, right? Like if we all just believe that it is true, it'll somehow be true. Guaido will be president, and it's like no, your beliefs don't matter. That's what they're saying here. Like it, as long as we all just have the perception and we get people to believe that there is such a thing this magical mystery bomb, then it'll be so. And no, there is this reality that still exists where that's not true. And everybody in Russia and China who, you know, matters on these on these issues knows that that's not true. So it, it, it is changing nothing. Um, it's all a game of perception. So again, it really just shows you this. There is a reality. And, and up until not that long ago, I, I mentioned Trotsky, right? There was something that that emerged out of um, the Bolshevik Wall Street funded London funded Bolshevik revolution. Is that is what is that? This yeah, Lockheed Martin dark, dark Eagle. They give you a computer drawing. <laughs> oh, There's the Dark I Eagle. <laughs> Eagle hypersonic missiles to the U.S. Army today. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Dark Eagle. With, with their massive, massive billions of dollars of budget that they could produce at least a slightly more convincing uh, promotional. Dude, this uh, is what this yeah. country's come to. It's all vaporware. Everything is fake, just like in the freaking markets. Every, every single one of these new tech programs and all these new financial uh, gizmos and, and, and instruments mm. they're bringing up, it's all fake. It's mm. all fake. Dark Eagle. Here's a computer rendering. Oh, look at the blast off. It's actually a blast off. They're, they're showing you the contrails from a Patriot missile and telling you it's the Dark Eagle. It's hypersonic. Why is it moving so slow? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> we got on slow motion. Really, it's uh, <laughs> we don't want to scare oh you. It's, it's it's so fast that we couldn't be <laughs> the camera couldn't capture it if it, if we had it on real speed. So we have to slow it down. That's why. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. that's a joke. That's such a joke. So yeah, you're you're dealing with something which, I mean, the the oligarchy really. I think this is the hubris of it all, right? Like the oligarchy trying to manage stage manage the world right now um they got really overly confident especially since they killed john f kennedy and increasingly they they consolidated their power above nation states and got increasingly the western targeted nations cleansed of de gaulle cleansed of adenauer cleansed of matai cleansed of all of the patriots increasingly they got these countries to become more and more appendages of this supranational cartelized beast and everything that they desired, they could do more in, a, in an easier and an easier and an easier way, right? From the Iran-Contra, getting a war between Iran and Iraq, getting, you know, whatever you want. You want to you want a war in, in Afghanistan? Blame it on, blame something that happened with two towers on some Afghanis in a cave and get a war going. And bam, you know, everything that they would snap their fingers for, it happened all the way up until Libya. And then things started not happening the way their script had said it should and that was largely because you had a coordinated effort by the cultures of the world that didn't want to commit be part of the suicide club russia china leading the way and other countries joining that that hub 
um, who pretty much started saying, no, we're going to not allow you to bomb Syria. We're not going to allow you to have unipolar economic hegemony. And the creation of the Belt and Road Initiative was then unveiled as an alternative funded by completely different financial inst instruments and institutions than those that had been used to, to enslave the world since World War II. Um, and so increasingly, you know, this oligarchy is still holding on so desperately to their outdated, obsolete script that they've just committed so much of their souls to, whatever their souls are, I don't know, it's weird to use that term soul and oligarchy, but whatever the, that, that they, this thing that they have inside of them <laughs> that gives them meaning in their existence, it's, it's obsolete. It has no bearing in the reality of the world that it is today. And, you know, the, the, the whole thing with this, um, I mean, we've got a new set of scares, new set of propaganda, perception management around Omicron. We didn't even talk about that, but they're trying to get everybody to get in a state of perpetual fear because when your society, you could you could call it a democracy, but as long as the individuals in that, that democracy are in a state of perpetual fear and ignorance, whether they're afraid of a, you know, a carbon dioxide molecule or whether they're afraid of a little invisible thing that you, you can call, give it a Greek uh, letter, call it Omicron, call it whatever, and tell nobody plays Scrabble. It, it, it means moronic. It's an anagram for moronic. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If you move the letters right, eh? that's yeah. Good. yeah, that's the thing, right? And and I mean, e their their minds turn off. When you're when you're in a in a fear state, your mind cannot be sovereign. You cannot think in a free, healthy way that only a democratic people can to be democratic you have to not live in fear. You have to have a sovereign motion of your mind moving with your conscience to scrutinize bullshit, judge it to be bullshit when it fails a litmus test that you have inside of yourself based on knowledge you have gained, right? And morality that you have cultivated. Then you have that litmus test working. You could sift out very easily where is bullshit uh, imagery coming from trying to modify your behavior versus truth. And you know, with the Omicron thing, just doing a summary, summary Google search, even. Um, I mean, Google is increasingly becoming useless. But, you know, even now, the person who is attributed to having discovered this thing, uh, Dr. Uh, Angelique Koatsi, yeah. she is the, the national chair of the South African uh, Medical Association. She's the one accredited with having like so-called found Omicron in South Africa. It's called the Botswana virus for some reason. Where they've like you know put up these big protocols saying we can't allow anybody into the west from from africa or big you know six countries in africa so far but even she's come, come out saying yeah this this uh is actually one of the least harmful versions of COVID i've ever seen everyone who's gotten it recovered just fine um it, it, they said it's everybody's either asymptomatic or have mild symptoms and it's uh she called it yeah. a, a a tempest in a teapot it's nothing yeah Exactly. Uh, and and will you hear this is the person who discovered the damn thing? And will you ever No, we have to listen to Fauci. Fauci is science. What's wrong with yeah, you, Matthew? It's everywhere, right? It's already spread all over the United States, even though we don't have any cases of it in most of the US. I don't I don't know if we have it anywhere in the US. Uh, but they're already like declaring a state of emergency in New York. Oh yeah. Over this thing shut that it hasn't down. Been, there's not one case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We gotta shut it down just in case. Just in case the case shows up. Zero COVID policy. Shut it down. Shut down. We got to yeah, shut it down. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and and we care about our old people so much. They're the ones who are the the most at risk, right? So we because we care about them, we should shut down the entire economy. And you know, I was thinking about the, the hypocrisy of this during an energy crisis, an energy crisis where across Europe prices of energy are skyrocketing three hundred percent what they were last year, same time. You have an artificial scarcity being created where. Um, we're going into winter. It's going to be a cold, cold winter in everywhere. And we're making energy more unavailable by going for more green energy, windmill solar panels, which prolifically do not work well, especially in the wintertime. Um, shutting down the Nord Stream 2 in Germany and even Boris Johnson's coming out saying we, like, we have to be prepared to shut down all oil and gas from Russia to protect the Ukrainians. You're going to kill old people primarily. We have to protect Ukrainians from evil Russian gas. Yeah. The people you said you are you care so much about that you shut down the entire economy in 2020 and you're trying to do it again now. You're threatening to do it again. The old people, the poor old people, um, you're going to kill them in great numbers. They will freeze to death because they can't afford already unaffordable uh, heating prices. 
And I mean, Biden as well, right? He's, ex he's, he's tapping into the U.S. reserves after the U.S. had been made largely energy sovereign under, under four years of Trump. He canceled Keystone, just like Germany is canceling the Nord Stream 2. He, he's like tapping into the reserves and then exporting 30% of the reserves. Um, he's shutting down. He passed executive orders, shutting down offshore drilling and passing out uh, contracts to any company which is going to do non, you know, anything that emits CO2, they're not going to provide loans for, including in Wall Street banks, you know, which are tied into the, the central bankers green climate compact saying we're not going to give loans to anything dirty anymore. Um, what's what are you pulling up there with uh, with this video? Yeah, let me play this real what, quick. This is, is there what, something on uh, Mad Money that, that we yeah, should know about? Yeah, oh, this God. is what Kramer, Kramer. Kramer just put out Jim today. Kramer. What do you, what do you do? Of course, be the bad guy. So we've allowed a pastiche of uncoordinated health organizations to dictate an on-again, off-again series of measures that mostly just leave us baffled and confused. We haven't centralized the issue to the point where the White House actually seems to take responsibility. Let's see, first it was the CDC, and then, then the FDA, then the National Institutes of Health, mostly coordinating policy through talk shows. Then we left vaccination policy to individual companies. Now it's toothless OSHA going back and forth on what's allowed in factories, but nobody with any power is saying the frontline workers need to be vaccinated. It's just plain wrong. And most of us are sick of it. Even as a vocal anti-vax minority is always grabbing the mic. This charade must end. The government must require vaccinations, not of this group or that group, not company by company, not cruise ship by cruise ship or airline by airline or governor by governor. The buck stops at the White House. Some of us are old enough to remember when we were told we had to get a needle stuck into our arms because of some disease that was so scary we didn't even, we were afraid to talk about it. The disease was called polio. No one knew how you got it, but you were scared to go to a place where anyone might congregate a swimming pool, a park. Then we got a vaccine, vaccine that worked, and President Eisenhower said we would end polio. He pulled it off because he didn't give us any choice. Soon after, as if the needle were too hard, they came up with a sugar cube. Uh, they being the scientists at the time. And we lined up and took them too. Mine tasted like maraschino cherries. Yeah, like the Del Monte fruit cocktail my mom served, but only better. Oh, Lord knows what happened if you didn't partake. But back then, anyone who refused to get vaccinated would get ratted out immediately because right, that person could hurt other people. The common. This guy is such a fucking moron. I hate him with a passion. This. this... Bear Stearns is great. It's wonderful. Go invest. Everybody, all my friends are investing in Bear Stearns. Wednesday. Saturday, Bear Stearns goes belly up. I, I don't know how that happened. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. This guy. First of all, there's a, a, a huge world of a difference from the pharmaceutical world with, with Linus Salk and the polio vaccine versus Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and J&J today. It is not even in the same category in terms of ethics and morality and decency. This is this is completely different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, part of this too is is there's a, a mental um, lobotomy that happens psychologically when you allow your mind to go into um, to start thinking in a st statistical gambling like way about reality and value, which is what John, uh, uh, Kramer did to himself over many years. And as long as you think that a viable way of measuring the economic health of a society is through um, Wall Street stock exchange and, and, and these types of speculative values, which is what he actually believes. He believes that that's actually a way to measure value is through what speculators want to pay for a thing. And, and somehow, you know, that's going to uh, get us to truth about what we should, which directions we should or should not go. You, you become increasingly incapable of thinking as a reasonable human being should about what real, because it's all about value. It's it's what are your values? It's not just a more morality question. It's also a scientific question. Where do you place your priorities in a society? And, you know, we could have heroin increase in its value monetarily because people want it and maybe it can get scarce or more abundant, causing the value to go up or down. I mean, a big part of the world stock markets has been since for decades and decades, laundering big chunks of drug money. Uh, it's a big part of the, the whole system. Um, you know, people, modern economists are even treat, taught to believe that that's a legitimate part of GDP is measuring also drug flows, purchases, because that goes into the overarching metrics of the system. That's not true. You, that could, if, you, if you allow a society to have its value built around heroin uh, sale, and let's say just like, you know, gambling in casinos, that's where you're going to get all of your money 
you might build infrastructure, but if you're, if that's where all the money is being generated, that's a negative value. Your society is less capable of sustaining its own existence. You know, you can't have machine tool operators who are getting high on heroin um, or let alone doctors. Right. So you, you have to be able to have a sense that, okay, even though maybe let's say, I don't know, electricity might from a nuclear power plant might cost a lot of money. It's worth doing because it's going to give you economic uh stability security high quality energy and it's going to allow you to sustain more people at a higher quality of life if you do it and do it well do it safe don't cut corners um even though maybe the stock markets might be induced to say because mark carney is manipulating them that you can get more more payback um in a in a post you know great reset green new deal type of economy by investing in windmills and solar panels you might get more money back according to the manipulations they're going to make it doesn't make it actually, it'll still have negative value because you can still only sustain fewer and fewer people if you spread windmills and solar panels over the earth than if you had natural gas or better yet nuclear or better yet fusion uh, that, you, that you've that you got. So uh, Kramer is looking at the world, unfortunately, in a, in a completely statistical way. There is no basis of objective truth in that type of world. It's all about, uh, you know, economic games for speculations. So you, you got to get above that. And I think that that's why it's val valuable to look at how it is that Xi Jinping and the Chinese leadership has not have not only done battle against their own deep state, which is highly embedded, but how they've organized over the past seven, eight years, economic programs around the Belt and Road Initiative, which we are calling we're, our, our Western deep state media is labeling it all debt trap, debt slavery, imperialism by the big bad Chinese that want to overthrow Western values and Western democracy. And it's like, that's why they're not invited to the democracy summit by biden because they're bad authoritarians imperialists not like us uh no if you actually look at what they're doing their understanding of value and economic planning is both in harmony with private enterprise there's more private enterprise springing up in asia than than we have which we're just crushing it all what are you talking about man that's just a communist uh hellhole over there in china you know you got the reason why there's so much billionaires and millionaires and more private ownership of property and and, and businesses and private equities because it's communism. That's what it is. We need to right. be more capitalistic, which means more centralized control of government, more, uh, you know, more uh, uh, top-down planning of, uh, of all aspects of your life. That's capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you hear it, right? The, the, the person who's being set up to be the, uh, the Treasury Secretary of the United States, or no, no, the Comptroller, the Comptroller oh, of the wonderful. United States, Salo Omarova. Yeah. Uh, this woman... She was like, I think a teacher at the, the school of Chicago. She was, she went through the Soviet, back in the old Cold War Soviet training days. She did her thesis on Marx and revolution. Um, she has advocated, this is the person that Obama, Obama, whatever, same thing, Biden is appointing to head one of the most powerful economic institutions in the United States. And she has said on record, we want oil and coal to sub, uh, to go bankrupt if we want to fight climate change. She said that openly, we want to make them bankrupt. And she's the one who's calling for a Green New Deal. She is, 2017, she's the one who said we need to put government uh, agents on the boards of every single private company and bank out there and force them to behave according to fighting climate change. That's so something right out person, of Atlas right? Shrugged. Huh? That's something right out of Atlas Shrugged. Having exactly. government reminders on on corporate boards. Oh man, yeah, no, exactly. And um, and, and you know the, the person Tracy uh, Stone Manning, who's the the uh, what's her role? She's the the head of the uh, the director of the Bureau of Land Management. She was the former uh, high level member of Earth First, oh, a, a radical eco quasi terrorist group that would like sabotage you know uh, trees, like people who are like doing logging by putting like like. Uh, uh, nails inside the tree so that the people like doing the sawing would get killed or radically harmed when they were trying to cut these things out. She was part of that organization. And she even wrote in, in a 1989 letter uh, threatening violence on the government if they continue um, uh, resource extraction policies. Like, and now she is being, so all of these like radical uh, eco-terrorists, radical anti-civilizational um, ideologues of the Trotskyite Marxist variety have been all increasingly installed into positions of uh, authority within um, schools, within government. I mean, look at uh, the Weather Underground, right? The the 
the terrorist group of 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 young people in the 1960s who set off something like 25 bombs they killed people um all over the united states they had sister organizations in europe with the red army um, faction in uh, italy that killed statesmen and innocent bystanders we had the quebec flq that was another branch of the same operation all coordinated by five eyes intelligence um there's proof on that too and people like bill ayers uh, and uh what's her name bernie dorn the, they were the head of the weather underground saying that their purpose is to destroy imperial civilization which they only see civilization as imperial they that they, they don't see anything good in civilization they're all being trained and cultivated on critical theory brought in by these you know neo-bolsheviks like uh, georg lukacs who created the frankfurt school right and and all of his theodore adorno and uh walter benjamin all of these these creeps came out of the Trotsky networks that fed into an educational reform in the West after JFK died, especially that produced these these radical uh, human haters that became terrorists that what did they do after the 1980s? They were embedded into mainstream academia, shaping curriculums to the point that uh, that Bill Ayers became one of the earliest sponsors with George Soros of Barack Obama. Correct. Probably even the ghostwriter of his, uh, you know, his book. Tales of My Dreams Father. of My Father. Dreams of My Father, yeah. Yeah. Very um, well said, Matthew. Very well said. We're, we have about 30 seconds left, man, at the end of the show. So right. uh, I'm sorry, brother. Right. Uh, yeah, I have a hard yeah. stop, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. So basically, we got to really be more self critical about what the hell kind of hypocrisy is governing. So I just say that and also look towards the, the countries if you want to know who actually does represent the interests of the of humankind right now look at those countries that are not being invited to this sure. democracy summit and you'll get a sense of actually who has the moral high ground in this entire fight for human civilization not that it's perfect but they have the moral high ground in this battle i'm sorry right. to say for all of the the china and russia haters out there um and for anybody else like i would i would just end it there um we have a um a series of conferences or not conferences uh lectures as as a lot of the viewers here know already Every Sunday, the Rising Tide Foundation with my wife, Cynthia, that I organize, we do uh, weekly lectures every Sunday at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we just did something on Churchill, the warlord last week that's going to be up on our website. But next week, we're going to have something on the uh, assassination of Alfred Herrhausen, the head of Deutsche Bank, and what was he trying to bring into being in 1989, and how was that overturned? Um, done, and that'll be delivered by an award-winning documentary filmmaker, uh, Dirk Pullman, who's also written extensively on these things. He's done a lot of original research. Um, we're going to have presentations all throughout the holiday season into the new year. So people just need to write an email if they want to take part uh, to info at risingtidefoundation.net. That's the email. Just say, I'm interested in uh, receiving a Zoom, a Zoom link invite. You could ask questions, participate. And usually we ask people if they can to just make a donation by get either do a donation on our website or get a paid subscription to the Substack, uh, my Substack or Cynthia Chung, my my wife, her Substack. Um, it's 50 bucks for a year, gets you articles almost every day with video content, everything else. So uh, usually we ask people to do that. If you can't do that, totally understand. Uh, I'll still give you a free invite. So um, yeah, that's it. Very well said. And folks, get the book. Get the book. Get yourself armed, locked and loaded. Understand the multipolar world and the new paradigm that we are in. And with that being said, CJ, take it away.